Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Orn at Cruise Consulting. And before an excellent podcast, quick shout out to our sponsor, Brex. Brex is a credit card for startups, the first one ever. It's fantastic. They don't require a personal guarantee by the founder. That is a huge, huge deal. Also has great integration with QuickBooks, which makes life easy for your accountant. And finally, they have really good rewards. They do startup-centric rewards, so like bonuses on ride-sharing and travel and eating out and things like that, all things that appeal to the whole team at a startup. So check out Brex, and if you go through their sign-up and type in Cruise, you get a discount. Hopefully you enjoy Brex, and thanks so much, guys, for sponsoring the podcast. Thanks. Welcome to Founders and Friends Podcast with Scott Warren at Cruise Consulting, and today my very special guest, is Bradley Gackenheimer yes. of Roast Umber Coffee Company. Good to be here. Thanks Welcome, so Brad. Thanks so much, Scott, for having me. I appreciate uh, it. Oh, my pleasure. So you, we met because you have you have a pretty cool kind of business strategy. But before getting into that, you came to our office and we did like a Wellness Wednesday, and everyone got to taste your coffee, and people loved it. And then we wrote a blog post because people loved it. And then I was like, this guy's awesome, and everyone was talking about you for like half an hour. And so I was like, let's do a podcast. Yeah, no, it's it's it was a lot of fun coming out here for Wellness Wednesday. You guys were one of the first to try out cold brew. Um, we got a lot of good feedback in that regard, but you guys had some great questions. I love what you guys are doing, so happy to be back. Yeah, happy to be here. Thank you. So for the guests or for the audience, maybe just retrace your career. Like, how did you have the idea to start Roast Number? Yeah, for sure. So actually, um, I always, you know, ever since I graduated from college, and I always wanted to do something on my own. I didn't really know what that was kind of back in the day. Um, in my early 20s or so. So I actually got my start into finance, um, but through that process is I was saving a lot of money um, and I was just you know, looking out for new opportunities and different things that I could be doing. So joining startup groups and actually had a friend of mine through one of these startup groups that connected me with a local coffee roaster at the time uh, where I lived um, near the, the bank that I, that I was working at. And he needed a partner. Um, it was looking to start this small coffee shop roastery actually in Michigan. And I was like, wow, this is really interesting. This is really cool. I drank coffee. I didn't know a lot about coffee at the time. Um, and uh, by coincidence, I was actually going out to Portland, Oregon for vacation. So I was asking him, you know, what models are you going after in terms of coffee and all that? And going out to Portland, being one of the coffee meccas of the country, he was telling me about Stumptown and some of these other, you know, third wave, quote unquote, roasters. So went out, checked it out. Uh, a couple weeks later, I came back from vacation. Um, and I was like, hey, man, I want to get involved in this. I want to be more than just like, quote-unquote silent financial partner. So that was really the start of my coffee career per se, and specialty coffee. And then grew that venture, um, sold it, actually moved out to the East Coast for a little while, was doing some other kind of ventures. And then about six months ago, launched this brand, uh, six, seven months ago, launched this brand, Real Stumber. And uh, that's what I've been doing ever since. That's amazing. So you actually, like, you got kind of introduced Luckily, and then you actually did some research on the industry and were like, hey, does this, does this make sense? Exactly. I kind of accidentally fell into coffee, per se. Um, <laughs> and then, yeah, I just kind of become a coffee fiend, per se, and just fell in love with the business model, fell in love with everything that has to do with coffee. Exactly. There's a whole kind of like small lot or specialty kind of trend in everything, like yeah. whiskey, vodka, and it's, it's cool to see it happening in coffee too. Is exactly. that is that kind of what got your attention or what got your attention? It was, yeah. That's really what started to get my attention 100%. So growing up in Michigan, um, we've kind of become Beer City in Grand Rapids and some of these <laughs> other places, Kalamazoo, started Bells, Grand Rapids founders, and a lot of great breweries in the Midwest in general. And you're absolutely right. I mean, with what's happened with the craft beer scene since the 80s, 
Um, and then what's also happened with wine, you know, I mean, you go out to Napa, you go to yeah. Sonoma, you go to these different places, you go to Italy, there's different regions of the world or the country that have different producing wines, right? Yeah. Different regions and soil structures and things like that. 100% exactly the same with coffee, right? So that's one of the things that has been really interesting from our perspective is, you know, a Sumatra bean, how does that taste different than a Kenyan or an Ethiopian or Guatemala, all those kind of different subtleties. So that's from an aesthetic standpoint, that's been really a lot of fun to, to learn and get into. Does it feel like um, some of those other, like the whiskey or, maybe I'm saying whiskey because I like to drink whiskey <laughs> once in a while. Does it feel like they're doing the work for you a little bit? Like culturally, we're all getting used to buying you know, kind of specialty stuff. It's, it's everyone gets their own little specialty brand. I guess I never thought about that way, but yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. Is they're at least building that foundation to tell the story. Yeah. So I can kind of back off their story and just say, hey, we're just doing what people in whiskey that we're doing stuff yeah. in whiskey we're doing or in craft beer or wine, whatever it is. Yeah. Because yeah. I think the amazing thing is you guys have a very defined brand and you'll get into that, but like, People want to buy something that they identify with. Maybe that's the millennial thing, or maybe that's just where the world's going these days. Yeah, I yeah, I don't know if it's the micro lot thing. You know, you yeah. want something different. You want something that's varietal. You want something that's quote unquote organic per se. Not necessarily that everything that we do is organic, um, but you want something different. I guess. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know if it's millennial or whatever buzz term you want to use. Yeah. But yeah. Whatever it is, it's, it's been fun. Now, when you said you like kind of looked at the financials and looked thought about the industry, like what? Like, what did that entail? Like, you're you're a finance guy. Were you looking and seeing with, with like, what is coffee retail for, and what's the gross margin structure, or how? What kind of analysis were you doing? Yeah, all that um, obviously important when I got into it. So obviously the margins in coffee, you know, same with any kind of other beverage. I mean, if you do it the right way, you can get good margins. You can do a lot in terms of sustainability, charitable giving, things of that nature. But really, what I was looking at when I got into this, um, and a couple of our business partners as well, is where coffee was at and where it was going. And that was really, really interesting to me. And I'll get and it, it connects from a financial standpoint too, because a couple things. Number one, there's not that many publicly traded coffee companies, you know, number yeah. one. And the ones that were pretty big have gotten acquired in the yeah. last five, ten years, right? Like what's so, that Pete's and Pete so Pete's got acquired by a private equity firm yeah. that took Krispy Kreme and um, Curie private. Yeah. Uh, and so Pete's then actually bought out Intelligentsia uh, based in yeah. Chicago. Uh, Pete's also bought out Stumptown that was based in oh, I didn't know that. Holy two, cow. Of the, two of the pioneer kind of coffee third wave roasters. So that was happening. You know, again, in the last five, ten years, Nestle just bought, uh, put a big stake in a blue bottle, $500 million. I did see that, yeah. Kind of thing. So that kind of stuff is happening in coffee. They're just the same as what's happening, like we said before, in craft beer, just how that growth is happening from an acquisition standpoint. So, again, the financials are certainly there. Yeah. From a marginal standpoint, you know, the attention around coffee, I think we have Starbucks to thank for that, that... You know, spending three, four, five dollars for a cup of coffee or latte, absolutely. Um, and then we'll get into more of the sustainability and how, so you know, from our standpoint and how we get that money back to origin and the farmers. But um, but yeah, no, absolutely. It's like the price point of what people were already paying for coffee, and then what it was getting to in the terms of the variety, where it's coming from, different origins. Yeah. Like what is so? And that's it's kind of a cool way to talk about it. you guys. Like what. Because I, I have a, I kind of know what your brand stands for, but maybe kind of share with the audience, like what is what does Roast Umber stand for, or who are you trying to appeal to? When we founded the company, when we first got started, we sat down and we said, okay, why do we? Why does the world need yeah. another coffee roasting yeah. company, right? I mean, there's a million out there, just like every other. Like, there's so many coffee shops that are out there nowadays, um, and we're not we're not focusing on retail. We're not doing anything in terms of that regard with coffee shops. But we sat down and we said, okay, we know where specialty coffee is. 
where the potential is, where it could be going, we look at the spectrum of coffee drinkers, right? And we look at, okay, there's the folks that are still kind of in the, I'll say like the first, second, third wave of coffee, not to get too technical in terms of the coffee. No, wave, but go through that. That's actually but, really um, interesting. But yeah, so the first wave of coffee with the, inst you know, post-World War II, instant coffee. Like Folgers. Folgers Maxwell yeah, House, yeah, exactly, 100%. Yeah. Um, up to you know Starbucks kind of creating the experience around coffee. Is that second Starbucks second wave? Second wave, okay. yeah. So um, you kind of that experience around you know kind of the I don't know if you want to call it the Italian style, but the um, you know lattes, espresso drinks, things of that nature. And then now getting into kind of the third wave, which I would say is about you know two decades in, with going into you know some of these pioneer third wave roasters, you know like the Stomptowns of the Worlds and um, people like that, is that go actually go to origin and actually learn about where their coffee is coming from, right? Yeah. The soil structures, learn about the farmers, how the beans are, how everything is being processed, um, all those kind of things. So that's kind of the third wave of yeah. coffee. And when you go to a coffee shop nowadays, uh, or a lot of the coffee shops, especially out here in San Francisco, is you'll see, okay, like I said before, it was a Kenyan bean or an Ethiopian or a uh, Guatemala or Sumatra and what are those differences. What we were also seeing too is, you know, it was happening again on the East Coast, Midwest, all over the place is, and again, for me, when I first got into coffee, I wasn't a big coffee, I, I wasn't as educated in coffee, again, um, not as much as other people would have been. So I would go into coffee shops and be like, what the heck is a Sumatra, right? Yeah. What is Papua New Guinea, right? Yeah. And things like this, and it was just like, I, I didn't know what was happening. I just ordered it because it sounded yeah. cool. But we wanted to kind of break down those barriers to learning about, okay, okay, maybe you don't like a Kenyan coffee, maybe you don't like an Ethiopian. When you taste coffee plain and black, you're like, oh, what is this blueberry? This is a little weird. I don't know if I like this specialty coffee. <laughs> well, that's not necessarily the case. You just like with wine or yeah, beer or anything yeah. else, is the the taste, your your interest level might yeah. be a little bit different than something. Can else. you spend like a minute or two minutes talking about maybe different flavor profiles or what that means? Because as you're talking about it, I'm I'm thinking of myself going to uh, Sonoma uh -huh. and Dry Creek, and that's where I like the Pinot, and I can taste. I can actually really tell after I've drank enough wine now, where I can tell, right? Like, and the difference between like a Napa Cabernet and a Dry Creek Pinot. But like, maybe I'm not sophisticated enough to understand that on a coffee level. Maybe you can kind of explain and educate us just like a little bit of like. What does what do some of these differences stand for, or yeah. what do they taste like? Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's actually one of the things. And going back to your last question too, um, just to make sure I cover that is one of the things that again going back to we want to break down those barriers and educate people yeah. on you know that that spectrum of coffee drinkers is there's the folks that are kind of in this in the middle that want to get into specialty coffee but aren't as educated just like that. So how do we better educate them? And for us to focus on people centers, one of the things that we were mentioning before we turned on the mics is us focusing on offices, right? And people centers, places that serve a lot of brunch and restaurants and things like that. Not necessarily from a branding standpoint, more so just getting our coffee out there so we can start from there. So going back to your last question about the different regions, flavor profiles of coffee, different subtleties, is um, yeah, just talking about that is, you know, you look at a central, the Central American region, and we're getting our coffee right now from a farm in Guatemala. We can talk about that a little bit later in terms of how we grew that relationship with that farm, how we feel about Guatemalan coffees and Central American coffees. But yeah, you're gonna get a different flavor profile there than you would from an African coffee, from an Ethiopian. Is it more bitter or less bitter, or does it take, like, what's, is it creamier, or is it, I, I just I have think, no concept. Yeah, for, for us, we look at it as a little more balanced, right? Uh -huh. So. It's it's funny because when we when we have people drink a Guatemalan coffee compared to something else, is they might they'll they'll taste it and they'll drink it and they'll say, "Is this a dark roast?" 
and we'll be like, no, we roasted, you know, on the lighter side, if you want to say, it's like we roasted about the same as, you know, anything else. You might just feel that it's a darker roast because you're getting that chocolate flavor yeah, 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 yeah. and that balance. And, and we as Americans, per se, we number one, we like dark roasts. I think a majority of the country likes that dark, bold roast, which I don't even know still what bold means. <laughs> what is that flavor, right? But, you know, to each their own, whatever. But, uh, but yeah, it's like that that bowl kind of, I think it's, you know, that chocolatey kind of balanced taste. And that's uh-huh. why, you know, from us, from the standpoint of Guatemala, whereas again, when you go to a you know, Papua New Guinea or a, a, a Ethiopia, yeah. you might get a little bit from a, a fruitier standpoint. Mm. And, you know, depending on how it's roasted, it might be a little bit bitter, whatever you want to say. But um, yeah, it's, you're going to get some, some blueberry flavor out of it. Um, you might get some, you know, kind of brown sugar, some of that flavor in it as well. In the roasting process, is that to that brings out certain aspects of the flavor and you guys are kind of like the mad scientists in there like figuring out how how hard to roast it or how dark to roast it or someone like me who doesn't know enough about coffee like how do, how does that impact the taste right yeah so i think i think it's more mad scientists when you're dealing with your latte syrups and different ways to brew coffee nowadays there's so many different ways that people are brewing it from pour to siphon to all these other kind of crazy things um i think from us is yeah absolutely is we're we're roasting to the flavor profile, so we're testing out the different subtleties. When you look at a coffee at a roasting scale, you're looking at the scale of what the temperature profile is looking at, mm. the drop temperature of when you drop the beans in, what it's what the temperature is in the roaster, and then how it's heating up over how yep. the beans are heating up over time. Um, for us, though, is that's absolutely important. But also for us, though, is if we roast a pound of coffee just to try out a different flavor profile with a different bean that we just got, or maybe we want to roast it for a different brew method or whatever it is, it only takes us, it's a 15, 20 minute time investment, mm-hmm. right? It's not that big of a deal. For us, we look at, it's the farmer that's really doing all those things in terms of thinking about, okay, it's, well, number one, it's a three to five year time investment for a I didn't know that. coffee wow. tree to, to grow and come to fruition and actually harvest, right? So that's a big deal, number one. Yeah. Number two, there's a lot of risk involved with leaf rust, drought, all these other kind of things that you know we know about with other crops. Um, the number three is, yeah, absolutely. It's like, what's the soil structure look like? What is it? What was there before? Are they doing other things in that farm? Are they processing honey? Do they do chocolate? Other kind of things like that that they're doing. So yeah, absolutely. It's like, what does the soil structure look like? And those kind of things. So us having that relationship with the farmers, yeah. a lot of these roasters that have those relationships with the farmers, that's really where that kind of mad scientist, if you want to call it, that aspect comes into play. That's awesome. And you talked earlier in the podcast about going back to the origin. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of a business fundamental there too. Like you want to kind of talk about, mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons you got this, the relationship, mm-hmm. understanding what you're buying, but like why, why build this kind of direct relationship? The, we, we give back as a company, right? I mean, we're very philanthropic as, as core business owners. That's just who we are personally. And we want to do that professionally in terms of giving 10% of our profits back to a charity right now. We're doing earth conservation efforts and things like that. Um, but also from just our sustainable business practices and how we go about negotiating the price points with the farmers and working directly with the farms. Um, we don't go, number one, we don't go through a broker, is we have a relationship with the actual farms that we've either developed through partners that we've had or directly through relationships that we've had with meeting with the farmers um, and actually working with them is, okay, what is your ideal price point, right? And so they're not subject to the market price of coffee yeah. because that's fluctuating daily. It's being traded daily. Um, Explain the, the like volume coffee producer price versus the small lot. Right. Uh, yeah. So I mean, if if your know, coffee's trading at I don't know ninety cents or a dollar or whatever it is, is 
there is certain regions of the world that are able to produce a lot more quantity of coffee, things like that, that, that market price of coffee that makes a little bit more sense. Um, also, you have, again, being in finance, we talked about this before, is there's people that are trading coffee that have no idea what's happening in coffee and, and all those kind of things, which we can get into in a later time. Uh, but, but yeah, is when you get into, number one, where we're sourcing our coffee, it's 18, 1900 meters above sea level. So, so number one, get up there is a big deal um, in and of itself. But number two is, yeah, you have these micro lots. So, you know, it's just like going to the farmer's market. And if you buy tomatoes at the grocery store that are, I don't know if you want to call it mass produced. I'm not a big, you know, in terms of produce, I'm not hugely educated in that, but just, you know, from my own assumptions is how that works is, yeah, you're going to pay a little bit more from the farmer at the farmer's market. They grow at a smaller micro lot. Yeah. Same kind of thing in coffee, right? So, you're, number one, you're going a little bit further in a little bit more of a remote area, um, higher altitude, drier environment, all those kind of things that you're going to get a better experience, better bean, all those kind of things. But also is, yeah, the number one distribution to get the coffee down, the burlap bags, all that, these guys that are slinging 150 pounds of coffee bags on their backs, and it's crazy um, to do that. But also, yeah, is how much, you know, what is the, just to run, just the logistics standpoint is how, yeah. do they, you know, how do they run their business? So those are all aspects that we work through when working directly with the farmers. Yeah. And is there like a, there's a trade-off of like, you're paying more per pound than maybe the market for the mass produced stuff. Yeah. And there's extra distribution costs, but because you have this direct relationship, you're cutting out maybe a, a layer of reseller and yeah. you're actually able to stay in tune with the farmer and so economically it makes sense for you guys too right it, it does yeah so economically it makes sense again at the end of the day we want to work through a, a for sure genuine pure win-win right yeah. so we want to make sure that our price point is at a price point that we can still sell at good margins all that um, so we can obviously make money be profitable but also from the farmer standpoint is yeah what's the price point for them but also again going back to my experience in finance the futures market and all that even though we don't participate in the futures markets is we're still in a sense looking at that when we're working with the farmers so when we when we work with the farmers is we're, we're working with them on from a contractual basis okay if we want 15 pallets or 20 pallets of coffee for the next six months or a year of this particular type of bean is we're asking that and we're working through that is this is what we're, we're going to lock in this price what is the price point that is a win-win for both of us that we can negotiate yeah but also we're going to lock in this price point for the next six months to a year contractually so again it's a win-win for everybody we have our price point so we don't change our prices in two months and they know that in a nine months when they sell us that same coffee, it's going to be the same price point. Yeah. So they can be sustainable. And they can pay their employees and, and have a have a nice profit margin as well. Exactly. Pay yeah. their employees, sustainable for their families, all yeah. that. Yep. How do you source the, the, like the Guatemalan farmer? Do you just through relationships get to know uh -huh. people and then you find – or is it like – is it a lucky shooting star and you just you get lucky and find someone or how does it work? It's actually interesting, yeah. So the way that for this particular farm in Guatemala that we just started working with and the reason that we chose this farm in Guatemala, again, going back to we wanted to focus on getting people that aren't into specialty coffee yet into specialty, a little bit more educated and giving them a different coffee experience so they don't feel as intimidated right, to get into specialty coffee. So. We, we focus on the Guatemalan bean first because we feel that Central American, like I said before, is more balanced. So again, us, if you want to say it this way, us as Americans like that bowl kind of darker roast, even though we're not darker roasted, it is, you know, we feel it's more balanced for that. Yeah. So, uh, so when, we, when we sat down, it was a clear cut favorite. Guatemala is the first bean that we're going to carry. 
From there, we went to, okay, what are the relations we have in Guatemala, right? So my business partner, Chad, uh, Chad Morton, he's had a relationship with this, this farm and these producers for years. So the rate that he kind of himself, similar to me, kind of fell in accidentally into coffee is he was doing these trips out to Guatemala, mm-hmm. you know, some of these mission trips and things like this in Central America, and started meeting with these coffee farmers, these producers. And back in, you know, 2005, 2006, 2007. So these producers, these farmers were giving him coffee beans and these raw beans, and he was taking them back to the U.S. in backpacks, suitcases, you know, straight bootleg, and uh, just coming here and just asking these roasters, you know, would you find value in this? Roast these up, see what you think. They're like, oh yeah, this is awesome, I love this. So it's like there, they like. Of course, I will enjoy this delicious coffee. And eat it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly amazing. right. So from there, he kind of started this whole partnership, this whole thing, this business around just doing that is bringing, connecting producers, farmers, and roasters here in the United States. So that's kind of his start with coffee. So mm-hmm. that's again a long winded way. He's, part, saying, he's, oh, he's your co-founder. Yeah, he's you guys are kind of yeah. doing it instead of being a connector. Now you're like the. You're the real deal. You're the ones buying it and, mm-hmm. and doing all the roasting. Exactly right. Yeah. So he was still roasting himself with that oh, okay. partnership, uh, but at the same time, as a lot of what he was doing was helping roasters, helping different new entities kind of develop their direct trade program. Yeah. Um, also, with his experience with coffee in general and with retail and other kind of things, as he was helping them, you know, start with their experience almost as a consultant. Yeah, that's really cool. Yeah. And so you, you guys have been at it for six months. Mm-hmm. You talk a little bit about the people center strategy or just or coming to offices because I think it's brilliant. You you kind of offhandedly said it's not about the brand or developing the brands, about getting people their, your coffee in people's hands, but actually I think it's an awesome way to develop the brand because like yeah. I, I think I told you this, but like everyone at Cruise was like buzzing about your coffee, you know, for like, people still talk about it. And like you just kind of walked in to say hi to everyone and they're like, oh, hey, what's up, Brad? Like everyone remembered you. <laughs> yeah. So like – why, you know, why not have it be your kind of brand strategy and, and, and use it as a way to connect people? Yeah, and I guess, you know, from a brand strategy standpoint is, you know, we're not doing it from a, you know, people ask me all the time, do we have coffee shops? Or where's your shop at? Yeah. Or where's your coffee company at? And the answer is, you know, we just don't have, we're not doing retail. Is that going to change in five or ten years? Who knows? You know, we'll see what happens. I've run a coffee shop before. Yeah, it's sexy. It's fun. It's emotional. It's fun to be part of the community. And I love all that stuff. Um, but running a shop and running a retail environment is a much different story, yeah. you know, and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, is our, our strategy is, you know, if I can talk from a business standpoint, too, is, you know, from a business standpoint, as we look at, okay, if from our recurring revenue, we know if we focus on an office, they're going to have the same 500 or 1,000 or 20 people working in that office next month that they had this month, unless they do massive layoffs or whatever it is, yeah. right? So, and also we look at, okay... There's roasters that are focusing on offices now, and people in offices, they go to coffee shops on the weekends, they go at 2.30 in the afternoon, they go to different places at 9 o'clock or 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, they're, they're enjoying better, specialty coffee, I don't say better, but they're enjoying this kind of coffee that we're roasting. But it's, it hasn't, it's sort of caught on, but it hasn't necessarily caught on throughout the country in terms of offices and providing offices better coffee. But it's interesting though, because Offices are paying more for coffee, and our price points are almost similar, if not the same, yeah. or they're actually paying more than we're charging, because we've been able to unfortunately keep our overhead low again with not doing retail. So it's been interesting. So it's like when we come into an office and say, hey, we're doing quote-unquote sort of office coffee, 
but we wanted you to try this. Let us know what you think. They're like, wow, this is really good. Yeah. And it's, I want to be humble and all that kind of stuff, but you know, they're saying it it's good. really, really it's good. good. Again, we focus on the farm yeah. and all that kind of stuff too, but, but they were like, yeah, it's really, really good coffee. So we're like, yeah, we would love to help you guys out. And you know, we want to focus on, on offices to get started. So again, from a business standpoint, it helps us with that recurring revenue. Um, you know, we're, you know, we have the same kind of order structure on a monthly basis, bi-weekly basis, whatever that is. We can get a good roasting schedule. Yeah. We can go back to the farm and say, this is what we need, all that kind of good stuff from a business standpoint. So are we going to get into more direct-to-consumer, kind of that wholesale, online, all that kind of good stuff? Absolutely, yes. But to focus on people centers at the beginning, what's a better people center than an office? Yeah, for sure. And and I think also, like, kind of the, the partnership between, like, I just think of us, we want to be a progressive company, and we have Wellness Wednesday. And we do try to do a lot for our team members and they do a lot. Like they figure this kind of stuff out. So I think Hannah found you or you, you found Hannah. But like I, was, I actually was sending out cold emails. Oh, okay. Is that what it was? And, uh, okay. Yeah, I connect with Hannah throughout way, but some of my from a actually just from a sales standpoint and just my background is I love doing that stuff and that's what's what's helped me. I actually I had to be forced almost into sending out cold emails because I actually love cold calling. But I've learned over time that's not as efficient to yeah, do. Yeah. But some of my best contacts have been through cold calls. Some of my best friends, business relationships, yeah. colleagues now have been through cold calls. Yeah. So. And, but like it a lot, like you coming in and doing like the whole presentation and the tasting, it's actually really nice for us. Um, you know, it, it it sends a message to our team that we're not all about accounting and we're we are about the community yeah. and connecting with each other. So. I think I think it makes sense like in so many different ways. I think it's a really start, really smart marketing strategy too. Well, and right back, like, same thing with you guys too. Is I, I love your culture that you've developed, oh, and you. also from a content development standpoint, like we talked about before, is companies nowadays. And again, for us going into a B two C more kind of market, is um, you know, and absolutely now is doing training content, things like that. Is content is key nowadays yeah. with social media and the ease of access to be able to do it. And you know, like we talked about before, we're just doing a podcast, you're doing a blog, whatever it is. The ease of being able to do that nowadays is so so prevalent yeah. and, and so there. So you know, for you guys to be able to do that for us has just been awesome. That's awesome. Well, and I, I kind of want to go back just one more time because we got only a few minutes here. But sure. like, I really like what you're doing, going direct to the farmers. Like, are there any life's changed or cool stories you have from like your your farming base? You know, of like. Oh my gosh! I was having trouble selling my coffee, and now I have a flourishing farm kind of situation. Right, being new with this venture, um, we haven't yet, and also you know, being that we've only been, we kind of launched the company and kind of looked at what our business strategy is about six, seven, eight, nine months ago. We officially launched about six, seven months ago, like you said before. So we haven't actually gone to origin yet, and those kind of things since we lost this launched this business part partnership. But before though, in my previous venture, is we had a farm actually that we were working with in Kenya. And uh, we actually were able to, you know, through our process, a lot of money was going towards skilled trades and oh, through awesome. uh, educational developments in that regard. Yeah. So that was really, really awesome. But also, you know, we've been we've done a lot with my previous venture, and hopefully soon, as we we start to see some of these fundraising opportunities come to fruition with giving ten percent back and all that. But in my previous coffee venture as well, is we're able to do a lot within the community and within the Midwest in terms of refugee development centers. Uh, art programs for kids, things like yeah. that. So there's a lot of good stories. In there. The ten percent back to uh, profits to back to the community is a really smart idea too, because it just generates goodwill and generates word of mouth. And 
Well, nowadays, like you know, too, is there's B corporations, yeah. and there's a lot more in that regard. Is I work for nonprofits, I've done all that, but you know, to actually have a B corporation have that label, that's really awesome. Yeah, it's a uh, social benefit type of label instead of like pure financial. Yeah. But we get, well, you'd be surprised how many companies email us asking about that. Like, yeah. it really does happen quite a bit. It's corporate uh, responsibility. Yeah, yeah, it totally is. Can you, Brad, can you give, we gotta wrap up, but can you give everyone like where they can find Roast Number? Mm-hmm. How they get in touch with you? How do they buy something from you? Because the coffee is really good. Awesome. Well, thank you for the shameless plug, but it, it, the coffee <laughs> yeah. is actually really good. No, I appreciate that, Scott. That's <laughs> awesome. Is uh, so yeah. You go to our website, uh, roastumber.com. Um, you can find us there, as well as yeah, we have some brunch spots, restaurants throughout the uh, San Francisco Bay Area. But yeah, find us roastumber.com. Contact us link. Uh, be more than happy to, you know, if you want to order a bag or also service your office, service your restaurant, more than happy to do that. And I can testify the cruise team was highly caffeinated and feeling <laughs> very good and was talking about how much they love the coffee. But they also were talking about how much they love the mission. So it was a really, that's why we wanted to have you on the podcast. But I've seen 20 people super fired up about Roast Number Coffee. So check it out and uh, roastnumber.com. Thank you, Brad. Really appreciate you coming by. Thanks, Scott. Appreciate cool. it. Thanks I'm for having here. me. Hope you enjoyed that episode of Founders of Friends podcast. Quick shout out to Brex, the first startup credit card. Brex is our sponsor and we really appreciate their support. Brex has no personal guarantee for founders. That's a really big deal. It integrates really nicely with QuickBooks. Great rewards that are startup centric. It's a really nice little tool and we are seeing it uh, all across the cruise uh, portfolio of clients. So check it out. And again, if you go through the signup flow and type in cruise, you get a discount. So hopefully you'll check out Brex. Thanks again for the support on the podcast, guys. Take care.